Good evening, everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, September 27th. I gotta adjust things here. And I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar, Evening of Solutions for a New Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. APP's purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. APP is membership driven with the goal of a million plus members to help steer the political process. And you can find out more at albertaprosperityproject.com. APP memberships are one year for $20, two years for $30, three years to $40, or you can make a donation. Uh, we also have APP merchandise that you can buy at the APP store, which is just albertaprosperitystore.com. And the other thing I wanted to show everybody, which I'm really excited about, is on the page here. If you go under latest and you go under events, da-da-da, look, we have events, APP events. So we got some in, uh, these are in October, October 13th through... December 11th is what it's set up. Uh, Cowley, Staveley, St. Albert, Plamondon, uh, Grand Prairie, Peace River, St. Albert. Uh, yeah, there you go. So if you're in that area and you want to find out more, just go to the albertaprosperityproject.com. Go to under events. And I know some of them are RSVP and some of them you actually have to buy tickets for. You can find out more about that there. And let me just get back into here. Um, due to the new Canadian censorship laws and unable to show news links and online content, we do ask that you share, share, share this episode. Tonight's episode is called Media Manipulation and the Information War. And my guest is Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science, who's actually been on here at three times already. I didn't even realize that until I actually started to prepare for this. Uh, she did um, a topic called The Fourth Industrial Revolution in 50-Minute Cities. She did that in March, and another one called Cruel and Unusual Punishment, which was about climate change that we did in December 2022, and another one called Unmarked or Mass Graves, uh, talking about her findings of the graves around residential schools and churches and how the Canadian media may be twisting the story for different reasons. And, of course, that brings into what we're going to be talking about today. And if you want to go back, um, you can always go on to the APP Rumble channel or uh, even back in Twitter, although I think it's easier to find in Rumble, or you can just go to the chrisandcarryshow.com and, uh, and look under the episodes here, and you can even just do a quick search. Well, actually, you can't see it because I didn't bring it up here. You can do uh, just a quick search for, I'm going to just do a search for Sterling. If it shows up here, there you go, Sterling. And then you can find out the the episodes in particular that she was talking about. So that kind of gives you an idea of what's going on. Hey, look, there we are. So with that, I am actually going to bring Michelle on. I'm going to just turn this off for a second. Da -da -da. There's Michelle. How are you, Michelle? I'm good. Thanks, Carrie. Good, good evening, everyone. I Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, I did want to remind everybody that this is a live webinar. So, of course, we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout the presentation. You can always just put three question marks before your question, so it'll be flagged. And then I can quickly run through the comments and see what's going on. So, if people don't know Michelle, how, how do you not know Michelle? 
you've been <laughs> on already a few times. Do you want to just maybe uh, bring uh, bring our viewers up to speed on uh, on who you are and how you have such expertise in uh, in, in in everything that you you talk about? Um, thank you. Well, I'm the communications manager for Friends of Science Society. This is a small nonprofit that's run by volunteers. We set up in 2002. Mm -hmm. So this is now we're going into our 21st year of operation. Uh, and our main focus is to present information to policymakers and the public to help them better appreciate the impacts of climate change policy and the related mm -hmm. energy policies. So all our materials are offered free of charge, except for our events, of course. But um, we have lots of videos, lots of reports, blog posts. Um, and we try to do a number of things. Like we try to present um, some very scientific material because many mm -hmm. people are interested in that. But we also try to do plain language versions of things and, and even do some kids' videos. Oh, so yeah. we try to sort of reach a broad spectrum because climate change is, you know, a very complicated topic and very confusing. So uh, uh, that's what we do. And we yeah. have an upcoming event that we'll talk about as well as we go okay, through the great. presentation. That's but awesome. my background mainly is in marketing and media. Mm -hmm. And... You know, it just infuriates me what I see going on in the media with the climate change censorship. Yeah, so, yeah, I know in your your CV it says that you're also a member of the Canadian Association of Journalists. I am. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so we were wow. uh, we were actually talking with uh, another uh, another guy that we brought on before, uh, Jason Levine, who uh, is basically a, like a, a self proclaimed uh, journalist, but he's amazing. Yeah, the the knowledge of of the legal system and and all that, but he actually went into the courts trying to trying to get his uh, his journalism so that he could actually you know sit up front and take notes and not just have to scribble them down on a piece of paper and and I was surprised at the the amount of effort that it would actually take to go through that and and become that what is the you know the the quick and dirty what's the process in actually getting your journalism license if that's what it's called. Well, there is no license for journalism. Oh, yeah. So that's that's so, one thing, okay. <laughs> which is um, which may be why there's a lot of uneven kinds of journalism out there. Yeah. Uh, you can get like certificate degrees at university. You can get a more advanced communications yeah. degree, uh, which is not necessarily related to journalism, though many journalists have that kind of degree. Yeah. Um, mainly, mainly you have to be curious and you have to be willing to listen. You have to be willing to ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's where I think most of the mainstream media today are falling down. I call them repeaters and not reporters. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, absolutely. Especially, you've probably seen the the video meme, if you want to call it that, of uh, um, you know, the news is on and it shows all these different channels and they're all saying exactly the same exactly thing the same in the same thing. way. Democracy may be at risk. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so. exactly. And Quite I'll amazing. show you partly where that comes from tonight. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to uh, to have that conversation and see, and see what you're going to present. And and of course, I know even from my own personal experience, you know, uh, having having a bar and losing the bar, and uh, the media title kind of tore us up on what we were doing, and then going out to uh, on the convoy out to Ottawa, and of course hearing all about all the 
the the Confederate flags and the Nazi flags that were out there. And it was like maybe one. I didn't see them because they were there and they were gone. Were they planted? We don't know. But it seems that they they lock onto a story and that's that's what they're trying to get through in order to to do that narrative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's very and, true. And, and it's, it's, it's coordinated. Oh, it's absolutely coordinated. Yeah. So do you wanna do you wanna just jump right into the uh, the presentation? So sure. Michelle doesn't have a, a dual monitor screen, so basically she, it'll come up and exactly. she can see what's going on here. So I can do this, and she won't know. But right. uh, let's let's <laughs> yeah. bring her up on that. Okay. Uh, uh, you know what? It's not showing up here again. So you know what? I'm gonna remove it, wait. and we're gonna add it again. Do you see it now? There you are. Yes, now you do. Yep, perfect. Okay. All right. So shall I just blast away? Just jump right into it. Absolutely. Okay. So break free from media climate advocacy. Are we being zombified by mainstream media? Mm -hmm. For 20 years, we, Friends of Science, have informed the public to keep us free from climate tyranny, and yet we're locked out of the media. Mm -hmm. So this is a banner for our upcoming event, which will be on October the 17th at the Red and White Club. And um, in, Calgary. Have, in Calgary, that's right. Two great speakers. And our theme is Break Free from Climate Tyranny, Evidence mm -hmm. Over Ideology. Yeah. So we have Robert Lyman, who's an energy economist, and his topic will be when will climate policy hit the wall? Now, mm -hmm. just to know about Robert, he was here in 2017, mm -hmm. and his question then was, can Canada survive climate change policy? Oh, so yeah. that event is on our website, the text and also his presentation. Yeah. And so now he's going to do, when will climate policy hit the wall? Mm -hmm. And Dr. Ian Clark, Emeritus Professor from the University of Ottawa, mm -hmm. he was one of the first scientists in Canada that I know that actually made a U-turn on climate change and said, you know, for years I taught my students the climate dogma, then yeah. I learned more about CO2 and its effects, yeah. and I changed my mind and I teach something else now. So that's in our very early 2008 documentary called Climate Catastrophe Cancelled. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So anyway, that the sales, uh, the ticket sales end on October the 6th. So if okay. you want to go, that's the time. Excellent. And as you can see, all those happy people breaking free. <laughs> um, yes. So in recent years, mainstream media seem to all sing from the same song sheet. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, they keep publishing these articles like rigorous journalism can save us from fake news. Sure. And then when you look at the media and make some comparisons, what's up with this? You yeah. see the SkyTracker 2018, and it, the, it's 24 degrees up by Yellowknife there, but the background is kind of a pale amber. Yeah. It's not yeah. really hot. And now it's 20 degrees up there, and it's all burning red, and the same in England. So yeah. what's going on? And that's a subtle manipulation, too. Most people don't pick up on that until you, know, you actually point it out to them. Right, until you see that actual comparison and the dates, yeah. you wouldn't know. You just kind yeah. of go, oh, wow, it's yeah. really hot out. Yeah. And then, of course, there are these ridiculous headlines, of which there are many, many, many. Um, you know, every, every place in the world is warming faster than the rest of the world, mm -hmm. which is mathematically impossible. 
And then we even have NATO Gen Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg saying climate change and Russian aggression mean defense of the Arctic is key. And uh, on the other side of the story, we have uh, ordinary people like the mayor of Lethbridge, who just got hammered by the media for an idle tweet that he simply retweeted on his own personal Twitter feed, which was about the Clintel group of scientists who say there's no climate emergency. Well, the media just went to town on him, um, you know, which is not their job. Their job yeah. is to ask questions, not to try and destroy somebody's reputation. But this is the media mob on climate. There's kind of an omerta, you know, like a mafia silence on dissenting views. So there's an organization called Covering Climate Now. It's set up by the Columbia School of Journalism, or sorry, the Columbia Journalism Review <clears throat> out of the States. And they have more than 400 outlets worldwide who are signatory to this umbrella organization, reaching 2 billion people. And they coordinate the stories and send them out. And mm -hmm. people just cut and paste and copy and repeat. So, you know, they try to tell you that it's organized by journalists, for journalists, covering climate now, it's the world's largest media collaborative. We help newsrooms tell the whole climate story from the heartbreaking dangers to the common sense solutions. Mm. Oh, really? Well, here's how they tell the story of the Alberta oil sands. Here's an op-ed which was originally published in the Thai E, written by Sean Holman, and his name will pop up again later. Op-ed, Canada's oil giants deserve tougher coverage, right? Mm -hmm. And more recently, they put out this note covering climate now, the climate beat, 15 simple words for better climate coverage, wherein they try and tie the horrific fires on Maui to mm -hmm. the use of fossil fuels and yeah. climate change. But in fact, not even the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says that climate change drives wildfires. Yeah. So look how misleading that is right off the top. So again, I just want to remind you, you can join Friends of Science. You can become a member. We have newsletters. One's called CliSci. It's about recent climate science. We have another one called Extracts, which covers recent um, sort of political events, you know, the the Conference of the Parties, COP28 is coming up. Oh, yes, yeah. So they have all these ongoing climate conferences that, you know, you don't sort of hear about until the big day, but they, they have them going on all year. So um, yeah. our volunteers report on that. So I was actually going yeah. to say that we had Robert Lyman on here talking about COP28, I think it was last year. 27, yeah. yeah. 27, he was that's on, right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, and uh, and he was telling us basically, you know, what what they were false reporting then. So I can well imagine after a, a, a summer of wildfires, what they're going to be reporting on now. Yeah. And you'll see coming up. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to help us out, we're going into our 21st year of operation. So $20 donation or e-transfer to celebrate our 20 years and our 21st coming up mm -hmm. uh, would be great. So here's what's happened in Canada with the media. This uh, Canadian journalist project called the JSource got together with a bunch of journalists, including the Canadian Association of Journalists, and they um, did a survey to find out how should the media cover climate change. So you'd think if it was a survey, 
they might consult with scientists. Um, here's their conclusion. Media should cover climate as a crisis, say scientists and journalists. Hmm. But Do in we fact, have... it was an opinion poll. Wow. Right? So opinions don't count for anything if you're on a on a scientific topic. And so we had Professor Emeritus D.K. Johnson review this um, uh, poll that they did. And he pointed out that on page 12, the report states that 77% of the scientists surveyed strongly agreed with the statement, there is a climate crisis. An additional 19% of the scientists somewhat agreed but the report describes the responses of a sample of journalists and members of the public to this statement. But obviously the opinions of these people are irrelevant to the question of whether there really is a climate crisis. And just so you know, in the IPCC report, the AR6 report, um, in the um, working group one, which is the scientific report, the only place that climate crisis and climate emergency are mentioned, they're only mentioned once each mm. and only in reference to media coverage. So the IPCC, the International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, does not um, make a big deal of climate emergency. And yet these journalists are going crazy for it. They also had another section in their survey called Open Mic. Yeah. <clears throat> So Dr. or Professor Emeritus Johnson continued, page 22 and 23 of the report explains how the scientists surveyed were selected. So they selected 1,015 researchers in Canada who had published four or more peer-reviewed scientific papers about climate change prior to 2021 to participate in the survey. But the report says nothing about where these papers had to be published in order for the scientists to meet the selection criteria. There's a definite possibility that this original sample of scientists was biased. For oh, example, yeah. journals that were willing to publish contrarian views may have been excluded from the outset. Mm -hmm. And if you look here at the open mic, if journalists are supposed to be objective and seeking the truth, look at the crazy things that they're saying. These were their comments. Excuse me not to be afraid of climate denying billionaires is mm -hmm. <laughs> actually, actually a much larger group of climate buying billionaires out there funding all the green groups mm -hmm. um, they suggested we should use simple visual indicators such as a countdown to a day when the 1.5 degrees celsius target is reached mm -hmm. well that just scares people and it's also not scientific they said that we should promote climate change to the lead item in newscasts and the front page of print and online media. Like, is that the only thing in the world? Yeah. We should ban all fossil fuel advertising. These are journalists. Tell them how much time we have left. Use a countdown clock. In oh. other words, scare them. Cover it as an ongoing emergency. It needs daily coverage like COVID. Yeah. So was it truth or opinion? Well, of the 1,015 scientists, 143 or 14.1% responded to the survey. So we're really only given the opinions of a very small self-selected yeah. subset of scientists. Yeah. Consequently, this report provides no reason whatsoever to believe there's a climate crisis. 
However, the question being asked by the report is not, is there a climate crisis, but rather should news outlets cover climate change as a crisis? Mm. Well, no doubt there are many people who believe that the first question is completely irrelevant to the second. Mm -hmm. So again, we're trying to deal here, they're dealing with perception when they should be dealing with reality. Is there a climate crisis? Show us the data. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's a group of scientists in Holland called Clintel, and I think when Jesper was here, uh, he spoke about it Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit, and he recently interviewed Marcel Kroc, who is with Clintel and one of the co-founders. Anyway, the Clintel group is now 1,800 signatories, scientists and scholars from around the world. And they say there's no climate emergency. And rather than an opinion poll, why not interview some scientists? And you'd think that this would be breaking news everywhere. Yeah. But it's not. So have you seen the headlines lately? This is in the past few days. These headlines say 7 in 10 Canadians are worried about climate change, poll suggests. The Globe and Mail, 7 in 10 Canadians are worried about climate change and link it to extreme weather. So that sounds kind of disconcerting. There's only one headline here that refers to the elephant in the room. In fact, in that survey, 93% of Canadians are worried about the economy and related concerns. They're not Mm -hmm. worried about climate change. So the energy mix happens to throw in affordability is the top concern. And that's the elephant in the room. So this is the poll that was based on, done by Leger and the Canadian press on extreme weather events. It was done on the 9th of, sorry, on the 11th of September. And this is how it looks inside that poll. Again, they have lots of smoke, they have fire over here, and then they they come up with these figures that 72% uh, of the total people asked this question are Mm -hmm. worried. 27% are very worried. 45% are worried. 21% are not very worried. And seven are not worried at all. I always question these polls because I never get asked. I'll bet you... We have 242 people online here. I'll bet you 241 of them have never been asked about a poll either. Well, Leger has its own setup. Like they they have a group of people who they set across the country and designated as polling people. Um, uh, So uh, it's not a random poll. It's quite selective. And in some cases, it's quite accurate because of that. But it's also problematic because, you know, they're kind of in like Flint with the company, if you like. Yeah. So here's their methodology. They said that they sampled 1,526 Canadians. Out of, uh, out of almost 30, uh, almost out of 40 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, all these are fairly s- small samples, but they did have distribution all across Canada, okay. age, gender, all that stuff. They do yeah. try to make a balance, right? And you can see all the details in the poll if you go online and download it. Yeah. But here, it here's their first page. They say some of the key highlights. They first say Canadians are concerned about climate change. And then kind of in the fine print here in this square little red box, says, despite economic concerns being considered the biggest issue facing Canada, Mm -hmm. 
what? What did you say? <laughs> so they're trying to make people think that climate change is the most important thing. And wow, these are the survey results. Does that look oh, to wow. you yeah. like climate change is the most important thing? Not no. at all. <laughs> Not at all. So if you add up all these things, inflation, housing affordability, economy, rising interest rates, health care, climate yeah. change, government debt, poverty, taxes, homelessness, rising gas prices, and other, that's 93% see economic issues as the most important. Yeah. But is that headline news across Canada? Wow. No. And look at, and no, look at the top much. four. They're all based on uh, on economy and money. That's right. And they're all very serious issues. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing that's weird is that they, in the questions that they asked, and you can see that if you go back through the survey, they frame it in such a way that it you assume as the person responding that I guess climate change is related to extreme weather and wildfires are related to climate change. But in fact, as I said before, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which publishes these 4,000 page reports of the Climate Bible, does not attribute wildfire to human-caused climate change. So mm -hmm. why would you? And you can see in these tweets here from Mark Carney, I don't know if people know who he is, but he was formerly the governor of the Bank of Canada in around 2010, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Then he went to the Bank of England and was governor there. Now he's the UN climate czar. So he's mm -hmm. like a climate ambassador. And he's, on, he's a director on the boards of dozens of companies as well. Anyway, he tweeted when the wildfires were happening up north in Yellowknife and uh, Fort Smith area, he tweeted, as the wildfire crisis deepens in the land where I was born, I know the people of the Northwest Territories can count on their neighbors in Edmonton and across Alberta for support. Nowhere I've been is more generous or comes together more quickly to help each other in times of great need. That's true. Alberta came through. Um, then he goes on to say, I know that extreme weather events today in the North and this year across Canada and the globe are the product of the climate crisis. Hashtag climate trespass. <laughs> to dither, dispute, and delay will condemn more people to such tragedies. Only by coming together as Canada does best can we help fix it. But, you know, if you read, um, if we look down on the lower corner here, if you read what the media won't tell you about wildfires, this was written by Roger PLK Jr. on his Substack, which is called The Honest Broker. Hmm. And it's completely the opposite of all this climate baloney that the media and Mark Carney are pushing on everyone. And succinctly put, the IPCC has not detected or attributed fire occurrence or area burned to human-caused climate change. Mm -hmm. They're unrelated. So you know how misleading that poll was now. And why is this happening? Because this group covering climate now, they're advocacy journalists. They're not doing proper journalism. Mm -hmm. For instance, in one of their magazines, um, who did they interview? Do you think they interviewed a scientist? No, they interviewed the director of Mad Max, that dystopian film. Oh, and wow. what, did he tell, what did he tell them? He told them how to make climate fear compelling. 
that's not the job of a journalist. No. You're not supposed to be instilling fear in people. You're supposed to be informing people. So again, I'm asking, you know, sometimes people at APP events say, well, what can we do? I say, please be our foot soldiers. Mm -hmm. We're a small volunteer run nonprofit. We're locked out of mainstream media, but you can share our materials with everyone you know and mm -hmm. everyone who needs to know. So all of our materials are online, on YouTube, on our blog, Facebook, um, Twitter. We just got onto Gab as well. We're just going to start there. So, you know, please feel free to take our materials and share them on social media or email mm -hmm. them. Talk about them. Yeah. If you want to help us out, that'd be great. So how did Canadian wildfires become politicized? Well, this was in McLean's in uh, August. Look at this. They're trying to tell us what the what Canada is going to be like in the year 2060, as if anyone knows. But here's what they write. Summer is lost to fire and smoke. Biblical floods. <laughs> Dying forests. Retreating coasts. Economic turmoil and political unrest. It's going to be a weird century. Here's what it will look like and how Canada can get through it. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but over my shoulder here, I actually have a crystal ball. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> I should have done this article. Exactly. Because <laughs> I probably could have been way more accurate. But if you go to the IPCT again, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the authority that all governments rely on, it says in climate research and modeling, by that they mean computer models, computer simulations. We should recognize that we're dealing with a coupled, non-linear, chaotic system. And therefore, that long-term prediction of future climate states is not possible. So whatever this person wrote is wrong because it's not possible to predict what climate will be like in 2060. And similarly, it's wrong to conflate climate change and wildfires and extreme weather events as the Leger poll did. Not only that, this now becomes appalling exploitation. So more than 100,000 people were forced to evacuate their homes between May and September. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of homes burned, including about 200 in the suburban Halifax in the spring and almost as many in West Kelowna, BC in mm -hmm. August. Yeah. Against that backdrop, 72% of Canadians surveyed, <laughs> which we know is a lie, said they are worried or very worried about climate change, and 21% said they're not very worried, when in fact 93% said they're worried about the economy. So what happened? Well, September 20th, just a few days after those headlines, a week, in fact, after all those headlines, who's at the UN? Prime Minister Trudeau and mm -hmm. Minister Gilbo. Yeah. And what are they talking about? The global carbon pricing challenge. So they're trying to get a fixed global carbon price. And if you remember that uh, World Economic Forum little video about you'll own nothing, yeah. one of the predictions is that by 2030, there will be a global price on carbon. So our government is actively engaging in trying to make that happen. And here's Minister Gilbo. He's telling everyone that climate change is seen through our wildfires. 
and we just saw that that's not true. There's no mm -hmm. connection there. And then he says of these, um, of the fire chief from Kelowna and the deputy fire chief from Halifax, isn't that a coincidence that Kelowna and Halifax were written up in the news and now they happen to have fire chiefs there at the UN? <laughs> they put themselves on the front line to keep us safe from the effects of climate change. No, they were on the front line fighting wildfires. So Kelowna Fire Chief Jason Brolin said that 36 hours felt like 100 years in their fight. Well, I'm sure that's true. It was a terrible wildfire, mm -hmm. um, a number of terrible wildfires. And he said that there was $10,000 worth of sprinklers on the roof of our municipal water treatment plant, which is worth $75 million, and that saved the plant. So that's good because it yeah. took 12 years to get that built. Yeah. But then it Sixteen eleven in the video, he says climate change became very real on a scope and scale. So if we look at the asterisk at the bottom of the page here, mm. climate change is measured over periods of years, not events, years, mm. typically 30, 50, 100 and millennial timescales. So extreme events and wildfires are not evidence of climate change. Mm -hmm. Then he says that they spent over $20 million on the wildfire. And then he says that we're spending money on the wrong end of the problem. Uh, apparently, he thinks we should spend more money on climate change. And somehow that would stop wildfires. I've never heard anything so idiotic in my life. And if you look in the purple here, there are about six of these community wildfire protection plans sitting on the shelf in the Kelowna region. Hmm. So our wildfire consultant just snorts with disgust every time he hears things like this about investing in climate change when all of these community protection plans you know have laid out what needs to be done you need to clear out the deadwood you need to yes. build fire breaks you need to have uh, uh, fire smart uh, advice for every home and clear back the the uh, woods and shrubs from the homes um, you know and all that costs a lot of money takes a lot of time but you could just chip away at it and do it. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, people don't like to hear that because they like their little cabin in the woods. Mm -hmm. And the Kelowna fire chief, Jason Brolin, also said uh, that this was, uh, you know, related to climate change. But let's ask him a common sense question. Wouldn't more money for forest management, wildfire crews and equipment and water bombers help stop out of control wildfires and again not even the ipcc contribute attributes wildfires to human causation or emissions so let's look at what Kelowna has and i'm not blaming the people of Kelowna. i'm very sad about that <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but you know if you look at how many homes are in the Kelowna area there they are nestled right in the trees and yeah. they're on steep ravines. So it's very hard to fight fires. And once a fire gets in there, it'll just jump from tree to tree and house to house. Mm -hmm. You can see, this is from Firewise in the US, uh, the illustration here, but it shows how shrubs and bushes and trees should be set back from built properties. And that will really reduce the risk of having a house burned down. 
So if he thinks that we should spend more money on climate change, let's look at this, for example. The federal government allocated $32 million to BC for fighting wildfires, mm -hmm. but $32 billion collectively to Stellantis and v, uh, Volkswagen to build EV batteries. So it sounds like we're already loading the back end on climate change pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And if you look, you know, sometimes people have difficulty envisioning like, how much is a billion dollars? I don't know what it is. I mean, no. I don't think in those big numbers. Most people think, you know, probably the maximum that most ordinary people can imagine is about a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Well, if you look here, this is a million <laughs> bucks and it's, yeah. it's hundred dollar bills in packets of 10,000. And uh, that's a million. Yeah. And over here, this is a billion. So yeah. 32 of these for wildfire fighting and 32 of these for EV batteries. Yeah. And those batteries are not going to stop climate change and they're not going to stop wildfires. So then the prime minister gets up and he says that we have the best emissions reductions in the G7. Oh, really? <laughs> and really, so what? 93% of the people are concerned about the economy, according to that Leger poll, and mm -hmm. only 7% are concerned about climate change. And Canada's greenhouse gas emissions decreased to 672 megatons of carbon dioxide equivalent in 2020 during COVID. So, boy, was that good or bad? Well, oops. Let's look at what the wildfires did. Uh, whatever record reduction we had or best record in the G7 is simply meaningless because immigration and wildfires make it, make it meaningless. It means that your carbon tax sacrifice is totally worthless because here you can see there was a huge release of carbon dioxide from burning trees, huge, mm -hmm. huge, huge. Mm -hmm. So if Canada's industrial emissions were 672 megatons CO2 equivalent in 2020, wildfires in 2023 contributed more than half that by August. <laughs> and then over here, um, I don't know if people know, but there's a thing called the Century Initiative. And the government wants to up the population of Canada to 100 million people by 2100. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. Most people don't know that. And now is that, are they, are they just doing immigration on that or are they got other plans? Immigration. For yeah. Immigration. That's the main thing. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, kind of a weird thing because when you talk about it, then people say, Oh, you know, then you're racist if you don't like immigrants. Well, no, my father was an immigrant. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's just <clears throat> simply a matter of practicality. First of all, if you're going to talk about climate change, every person has a carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. So Darshan Maharaja, who's on Twitter, and we follow each other and tweet back and forth. He's got a blog. He's got really a great blog, lots of wonderful insights. Um, and uh, so he just did some quick math for us the day that I posted about immigration. And he said, well, the per capita emissions of CO2 in Canada was about 16, 17 tons in 2016. Mm -hmm. 
he said at the time, current population, 37 million. Adding 63 million people would increase our CO2 emissions by 1.05 billion tons yearly. So, um, you know, it's ridiculous. You have to kind of pick a lane, government. You yeah. cannot have crushing climate policies and claim to be a G7 victor with the lowest emissions that year or the best record yeah. and at the same time be both having wildfires burning down half the country and bringing in millions of immigrants because emissions will will go way way up yeah <clears throat> so again now we go back to covering climate now they have 400 media partners. They reach an audience of about 2 billion people. And you can see here, these are some of the Canadian media outlets that are associated with covering climate now. And we'll do the repeating instead of the reporting. They'll repeat whatever blurbs are sent out from covering climate now. So Jean Science Press, Asparagus Magazine, The Coast, Corporate Nights, the Energy Mix Climate News Network, Focus Victoria, Hakai Magazine, JSource, that's the journalism group that did that survey, Le Journal des Alternatives, Kingstonist News, L'Actualité Magazine, that's the French version of Maclean's, and okay. we saw Maclean's predicting the future, mm -hmm. Narwhal, National Observer, Planet Friendly News, Rabble, The Sprawl, Taproot Edmonton, TVO, and the TIE. So how can we break free from this media climate advocacy? Well, there are some things that I think that you can do as citizens. Mm -hmm. You can call the media out on social media. You can use our materials. You can use our reports, our videos, our billboards, memes, our blog posts. Challenge them. You can check their funding. Most media in Canada have substantial government funding. Some offer tax receipts for your subscription as if they're a charity. And Canada Revenue Agency requires that charities provide balanced statements and net public benefit. Mm -hmm. So scaring and misleading the public, especially children, is wrong. Now, you'd probably have to get a lawyer on that interpreting the law, but it's something to look into, I think. And taking tax dollars to mislead taxpayers into yeah. ever more costly and subsidized climate policies is unethical. So you can also check their shareholders, their mission statements, their journalistic standards, and hold them to account. You might also consider complaining to the Competition Bureau if you're concerned about the apparent collusion on messaging mm -hmm. via covering climate now and the violation of fundamental principles of journalism. The job is to report objectively, not to repeat and bleat. And then, of course, there's always street theater, which worked for Greenpeace. And people might be interested in this book, Climate Change as Social Drama. Um, it's a bit kind of academic, but it is quite interesting in that it shows that you know, we try to argue the facts and evidence, but these guys always win by rappelling off the Calgary Tower or, you know, climbing up uh, the CN Tower, getting arrested. You know, they always get the front page news because they do this street theater. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, maybe people, ordinary people have to think about those things themselves. I know the Canadian taxpayers are quite good at, at doing, you know, funny videos. And I think they stopped the, um, the Olympic bid in Calgary. Yes, um, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they tried to the Canadian Taxpayer Federation is what you're talking about. That's right. Yeah. And I think it was Franco Terrazano who did a very funny thing wrapped in a Swedish flag outside Ikea with meatballs telling <laughs> Sweden, like, please take the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want them. Anyway, so things like that can be quite effective and not very expensive. Mm -hmm. So let's make Canada zombie free. Mm -hmm. I do hope that people will support independent media because yeah. there's lots of yeah. good media out there. Yeah. But also, also, even if you, you know, because a lot of people say, oh, I don't watch TV anymore. I don't buy their newspaper anymore. I, don't, I never look at the, you know, such and such uh, mainstream media. But then that means they're still out there propagandizing to millions of people. So I think it's important that we challenge mainstream media to be objective reporters yeah. and not repeaters of climate dogma. Mm -hmm. so again if you want to help us out that'd be great contact at friendsofscience.org even $20 is a great donation for us and as I said before please be our foot soldiers and please come to our event ticket sales end on October the 6th 2023 so just mm -hmm. a couple of weeks from now um, we have to stop the ticket sales early enough to get the catering order in so uh, that's why there's no ticket sales right up to the yeah. event. It's really a great event. It's the entire evening. The uh, Red and White Club is fantastic. Their catering is good. We will also have tables there with some books and some bling and some yeah. mugs. And um, we have a cash bar. And, um, you know, are there, are there sponsorship opportunities there? Or Yes, there are. Yep. Groups of eight tickets and you get a deal or anything like that yes there are those kind of uh, okay. deals so if you go to our website this banner will pop up and if you click okay. on it it will take you to an information page with all that information yeah. excellent so good so that's uh that's what i wanted to talk about and i really appreciate the opportunity to present to everyone and i'm very happy to answer any questions absolutely i've, I've written uh, about six pages of notes here <laughs> I'm not going to go through all of them, but there are a lot of comments that have come up. Uh, but I, you know, the big thing I guess for me is why why does the media manipulate this stuff? Like, are they just trying to scare scare people so that maybe they can sell more papers or or get more people engaged in uh, in watching their videos? Like, what do, what do you think is the ultimate goal for them to do that? Because obviously they're getting money from this. Right. And that's probably how it propagates is that they're going to end up making more money if they 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 sell more stuff. Right. Well, I think one of the things that uh, people should be aware of, there's an organization called the United Nations Principles for Responsible Government, UNPRI. And this is the um, it's a transnational, unelected, unaccountable organization. It's made up of about a thousand institutional investors. That means pension funds and insurance plan funds. Um, and uh, they have about a hundred trillion dollars in assets under management. So well, they're sounds like uh, BlackRock or a Vanguard sort of uh, 
colossal group? Well, what I suspect, but I don't know for a fact, so this is pure speculation, but I suspect that BlackRock actually is a super fund related to this group in some way. I can't, I I have no evidence to prove that, but it makes sense to me. Anyway, these guys, they hold climate change as their highest objective, and also their fiduciary guru is Al Gore. (laughs) So why is that relevant to newspapers and climate change headlines? Well, for one thing, the investors in newspaper organizations are often these institutional investors. Mm -hmm. So we have, uh, there, there is some material online about NEI investments. After the 2015 Paris Agreement, uh, NEI investments had engagement sessions with Bell Media, with Rogers Media. And what they told them, they said, you know, you should toe the line on the Paris Agreement. You should follow the advice of the Ecofiscal Commission. And um, we think that's what you should do. So, you know, if your investors tell you that, you'll probably do that. And, And so that's how it started. But it's also that these environmental groups are huge now. They're very, very well funded. And Mm -hmm. we have a set of four green reports, we call them, on these environmental charities. Uh, They have more money than all the political parties put together. So they're very, very powerful. And they have had sessions, like before the 2015 uh, election, um, the top 14 ENGOs in Canada sat down with Uh, media influencers and journalists and sort of set the messaging for the election. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, we are intentionally cut out of the media and these ENGOs, sometimes they are co-funding media campaigns like uh, Tides, uh, which is now called Make Way. But before the uh, 2015 Paris Agreement, they funded six months of special articles where they claimed to have no editorial control whatsoever. Um, And it was all scary stuff. So obviously there's a lot of money sloshing around there. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at Zoomer magazine, you know, I'm a boomer, so I have Zoomer magazine. But if you look, (laughs) there's like full page color ads every month from Nature Conservancy, you know, asking people to leave money and land in their will, make a donation, save the future for your children. Mm-hmm. This charity is full, full, full of money. So mm-hmm. money talks and, you know, small volunteer run nonprofits don't get much of a voice. No, that's true. So, so that's my point yeah. is that behind the scenes, there's this big money flow. And a lot of these big um, institutional investors are also deeply invested in ESG projects yeah. and renewables. Yeah. I think as as we go through a lot of these webinars, and I'm sure people that are watching, you you get to sense that everything is intertwined. Like it's not just one topic. Like if all it was was about climate change, we'd probably be able to tackle tackle that. But because it's it's brought in through, you know, uh, again, it's it's you you name the topic, and and it's going to be uh, follow the money, and it's going to be wound up in everything else. Um, one thing, uh, when when you were on here uh, a few months ago, we talked about the Paris Agreement, and a lot of people don't realize that even though Canada signed for the Paris Agreement, we could walk away at any time. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, but it's we've not got, legally binding. No, and we've got a prime minister that is basically saying, no, we're going to, we're going to, I signed it, or I'm not even, no, he didn't sign it. It wasn't Harper that signed it. No. Do you know who, not do you know who actually signed it? Uh, yeah, I think he signed it or, or Catherine McKenna did. Okay. And, and uh, you know, she knew nothing about these conference, oh, conferences no. yeah. before she yeah. went to it. Oh, that's right. I remember that story. Um, but the fact that, you know, they signed up for this Paris Agreement and they're basically treating it as, the, oh, no, we have to do, we have to do this. We have to virtuous signal our way through and make sure that everyone uh, you know, respects Canada for, for following through. And yet we should have louder voices out there and saying, no, you know what? Let's do a, 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 a federal referendum. Let's get out of this Paris Agreement because... Yeah. You know, there's so many stats out there, even just, and, and I didn't even know that this this topic was going to be so much climate change. I really did think it was going to be about media, but you can see how media and climate go together anyways. It's one of those those things. But we should be able to just say, you know what, we're, we're, we've had enough of this. We need to get out of this. And uh, because, and I forget what the stat is, but like, it's like Canada has like 1.5% or even less of that yeah. in terms of CO2 emissions. They, if anything, they should be going after the big, na uh, big names, China, India, but they're not because they're the ones that are basically have all the money and they're funding it. Right. Well, um, uh, China and India are, see the way that the Paris agreement, well, it's not the Paris agreement. If you go back to 1992 and the Rio declaration, and the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, mm. um, that's the political structure, um, they split the world into the developed nations and oh, the yes. developing nations. So even to this day, China claims that it's a developing nation when it's actually hot on the heels of the U.S. with yeah. the largest economy oh, in the world. Exactly, yeah. So they say, well, we're on this, we're on this developing list, so we don't yeah. have to participate. What, what are you talking about? Um, and also countries, they're planning to put together this $100 billion green fund for developing nations. Well, mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia is part of the developing nations. They could technically apply for yeah. money from that $100 billion. Where is the $100 billion coming from? It's coming from you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, follow the money trail, and uh, and as we've gone through the last couple of years, again, I, I I've said this already, but it, it kind of opens your eyes as to exactly what is going on in the world and how we've basically just been complacent. We've been sitting back and uh, assuming that the politicians and everybody knows what they're doing, and uh, you know they they you've heard the term the Great Awakening, and maybe this is the Great Awakening that we're waking up and saying, look at all these backdoor deals that are happening and backroom deals, and and we should really be looking at this and and trying to uh, trying to put a stop to this, and and getting yeah. a hold of our our uh, our politicians and but as we go through even these, we find that it's not necessarily just the politicians, but it's the the bureaucrats that are that are really the troublesome ones because they're not elected. They just end up getting into those managerial type of positions and then they sit there and they, you know, they get their money or whatever that they, their incentives in order to do that. So even if we change the government many times and we've witnessed that you, you change from uh, conservative to an NDP and then back to conservative stuff still happens because we've got those people in, in those places. So the government, the government is that top level and yeah, it's kind of, 
I almost say it's superficial with a lot of the stuff that they that we should be telling them to do because they can only do so much, right? And uh, and we've again seen that even with AHS uh, and Daniel Smith coming in and firing the board. Well, that that's great. They've she stripped the top layer off, but there's about ten more layers through that we need to get rid of before we actually make some change. So yes, and you have to realize also, like not only are these union pension funds invested in a lot of this stuff yes um, yeah. but they also like qp runs an in-house climate workshop mm -hmm. with all kinds of wrong ideological baloney in yeah. it yeah. um you know the ontario teachers pension plan i think it's one of the richest pension plans in the world yeah. is invested in renewables and carbon markets and they, at one yeah. point they were owners of wind farms here in alberta yeah. um I don't know if they still are, but um, you know, there seems to be kind of some back scratching in that, like mm -hmm. I'll buy a wind farm in your province and then you'll buy a wind farm in my province. Um, <clears throat> and again, this is all related, I believe to the United Nations principle for responsible investment to that yeah. organization. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're just so powerful because they have so much money. So then they also can influence banks. So, yeah. Uh, well, and, and as you were saying, it's the Great Awakening. Like, uh, I don't know if people read Doomberg. It's a substack. It's written by a bunch of uh, former um, energy executives and uh, money managers, people who really know the energy industry. Mm -hmm. And today they put out one that's about how um, about backpedaling mm -hmm. and how they said, you know, everybody went along with the climate agenda for the longest time because energy prices were low and it sounded like a good thing and no problem. But now people are going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean yeah. I'm going to be poor and hungry yeah. and yeah. sitting in the dark? Like, yeah. I think this is a bad idea now. Yeah. You know, we, we brought people in here uh, talking about uh, media and manipulation. And the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand is the whole advertising as well. You, you have money coming in from from uh, you know, government or, or other sources basically manipulating the, the, the media to, for a certain narrative. But you also have advertising and 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 I've witnessed it many, many times, you know, just just uh, there's there's the, the stuff that you see all the time. Billboards, you see you see uh, newspaper ads, you see stuff on uh, on TV. If you watch TV again, I don't tend to watch TV anymore. Um, but I do look at social media. I do look on my phone and uh, I do play little games on my phone. That's the other thing. And that's what I wanted to say is that they've actually manipulated so that there's ads within your game that are basically promoting, you know, climate change and, you know, you should be doing this or, or go out and buy an EV and, and all this stuff. Again, looking at it from, from, uh, my point of view or, or as someone that's at least a little more educated i guess in terms of that you can see how they're manipulating not only us but specifically i think for kids if the mm -hmm. kids are playing those games they are getting uh shown these ads and right away they assume that well that must be true because i saw it on my phone i saw it on my ad mm -hmm. no that's very true i don't yeah. know if people remember but in 2015 um the um eco justice mm -hmm. tried to take us to the well they did take us to the competition bureau they mm -hmm. wanted us fined and thrown in jail for our billboards 
which had the temerity to say the sun is the main driver of climate change, not yeah. you, not yeah. CO2. Well, uh, the Ad Standards Council uh, said that they had to take on the complaint because they had something like 67 complaints about our billboards. 67? <laughs> yeah, and of course, where did they come from? Because these ENGOs, and I think principally it was the Sierra Club, yeah. you know, ran one of their point and click campaigns. So when I looked at all of the uh, of the letters, of course, all the letters sounded pretty much the same, right? So it obviously yeah. came from a point and click campaign. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, when we tried to make our scientific case, we started looking up the people who are on the Ad Standards Council. And of course, they're all corporations that are heavily into the climate agenda. Mm -hmm. So, of course, they voted against us. Uh, so we don't use that ad anymore. Yeah. But um, and the Competition Bureau did not find that we have deep pockets. That was one of the claims that we were a proxy. All these all these foreign funded ENGO charities, right? They're all proxies for somebody offshore. Yeah. But they tried to make the claim that that's what we were. We operate yeah. on about $150,000 a year. Yeah. Like <laughs> Like and pennies, they, pennies they compared like to a million dollars in their bank account. I think at, at that time, I think the David Suzuki Foundation had uh, 19 million dollars in revenue, and they have some kind of an endowment fund that pays them in interest every year more than our annual budget is. <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, again, we, we've said this before, follow the money. And, and, you know, it's not whether you're true or not. It's whoever has the largest money that they can throw at a certain cause and manipulate people to know that. And um, again, it's, so what is the solution with that? And one of your last slides you actually showed and it was uh, um, you had said um, in my notes here. Um, call, call the media out, right? And uh, challenge them. Um, and then, you know, see where the money is coming from. And if there's shareholders, uh, where are they coming from? Um, and, and yeah, I think that's kind of all we can do uh, as, as individuals. But of course, as a collective, our voices are stronger. And mm -hmm. again, that's kind of the whole reason why we do these webinars for APP, because APP really does have a solution and a solution, especially when it comes down to climate change, because it's not, it's not the provincial government that seems to be pushing this. It is the federal government that's pushing this. Right. That's and, um, and we do have a premier that's currently said so far that, um, that she's going to say, no, enough is enough. We're going to hold off on this. We're going to uh, deal with our electrical grid. We're going to deal with those resources. But the federal government is saying, no, you, you know, you, you have to listen to us. And again, there's a lot of stuff that is under provincial responsibility or their territory resources is a big one. And uh, so if we can control our own uh, resources and, and shipping, you know, uh, getting electricity to to uh, to other points or, or doing pipelines and make it our own responsibility, then then that solves the whole uh, federal you know, the government overreaching and, and basically trying to, uh, uh, to screw us out of our resources, right? Right. Um, um, I see one question here with yeah. uh, Michelle Bisson is saying, why do, you, uh, why do I think that Daniel Smith is so obsessed with net zero? 
well, I would go back to what I said about the UNPRI mm -hmm. and the um, uh, the power that they have. These are institutional investors. They invest yeah. all over the world. And if the world's financial institutions and frameworks are set up for net zero, then in order to attract investors, you have to be able to make your case as to how net zero could work here. Yeah. Yeah. Now, according to the federal government, the definition of net zero is that we would, that an industry would not put more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere um, than it removes in some way. And removing could be through tr planting trees. Yes, it should <laughs> uh, be. Offsets or uh, some mechanical methods such as direct yeah. air capture or carbon capture and storage. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of those things we already are very good at in Alberta. Yeah. So what? I think that it's easy to make the case for our, our industries on that basis and it's one way to draw investment yeah. um, even though ultimately it's a dumb idea and what we see now in the uk for instance uh rishi sunak the prime minister there has done a complete u-turn on green policies and they just gave uh, a go-ahead on the what's it called the ross Rossland, I can't remember the name exactly, Rossland, Rossford. There's a big oil and gas play up in the North Sea. Okay. They just said, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, we want energy. And same in Germany. Uh, Germany, uh, the coalition government was almost blown apart by the efforts to impose a ban on gas boilers in houses using heat pumps instead. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they backed off on that. The yeah. uh, car industry there is saying, "Look, you're killing us. You know, yeah. we want we're known for making BMW and Volkswagen. We don't want to be destroyed by your stupid climate policies." Yeah. So they're backing off there. Um, so just like the Duberg article of today, the backpedaling has begun. People realize mm -hmm. like these are deadly, literally deadly policies. Yeah. And you know, you may wonder, well, how did it ever get this far? Um, I don't know where that book is. There's a book called um, uh, Zero Marginal Cost Society. It's written by Jeremy Rifkin. It's been translated into 36 languages, and he claims that he was the one who advised the German government, government on their energy policy. Like, if I was him, I'd be hiding somewhere right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know... It, and it attracted the attention of a lot of very high-profile people. He cites uh, Sergey Brin, who was a co-founder yeah. of Google in that. Yeah. Um, so all these people have this idea that it's like cell phones. You know, remember how phones used to be like, you know, really big and clunky, right? Years yeah. ago, yeah. they were very yeah. clunky. Yeah. Your yeah. cell phone would be like this. Now it's like this. You can stick it in your pocket. Yeah. Um, well, they're obsessed with this idea of Moore's Law that every year things will get simpler and cheaper and freer yeah. and we can share everything and we don't need a capitalist. And there is a limit anymore. though. Yeah. There's but that's not physics. Yeah. Energy is all related to the laws of physics and, yeah. and they are immutable. They cannot be broken. And that's what people are finding out now. Like, look, we put in all of these wind turbines in Germany and all these solar panels. And when there's, what's it called? A Dunkelflauten? It's when there's no wind and no sun for okay. like a week. Oh yeah. All of a sudden they yeah, they then they're like you Nothing know, happened. they're like this. They they have no power. And so 
when you think of, um, you know, in Germany, there's a huge BASF uh, facility called That's Ludwigshafen. Right. That's right. It employs about 30,000 people. I think it's something like 10 square kilometers in yeah. size. Yeah. I, I could have that wrong because I'm not that great with numbers. But it's huge. I know it's, it's huge. Yeah. Huge. And they make about 20,000 different kinds of products. So they take natural gas, lots of it, and that drives the power for their their operations. But it's yeah. also what they call the feedstock. So all these different products are made from natural gas, different mm -hmm. kinds of plastics and yeah. resins and thousands and thousands of products. But they used to rely on gas from Russia. Yeah. yeah. So that gas isn't coming to them anymore. Nord Stream has been blown up. They cannot operate this facility anymore. So they're shutting it down, actually. They're yeah. gutting the industrial heartland of Germany. Wow. See, I did not know that either. Wow. Yeah. And, and in fact, when the war started, or the conflict, shall we call yeah. it, between yeah. uh, Russia and Ukraine, uh, like by April, which was a couple of months into the conflict, they were already saying, look, uh, we may have to shut down operations. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's a huge industrialized country that doesn't have the energy that Canada has. And I was so, just going to say, you know, it's it's too bad a province just couldn't walk over there and say, hey, you know, we've got some natural gas that we could give you, except we have a prime minister that decided to veto that and say, no, we can't. Yeah, that wants to give you hydrogen, Yeah, <laughs> which is a loss at every stage of production yeah. and which they could make themselves. They have nuclear reactors so they could use the waste heat from the nuclear reactors to drive the process which yeah. is actually, I, I understand from someone that this is being done at the Bruce nuclear plant, that they're using the waste heat and the waste energy to make hydrogen. So great use yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, because that's how they're deriving it out of uh, natural gas as well, right? So um, we get, I'm gonna get to some of the comments here thing. Uh, and again, they were they were obviously brought up as your, your presentation was going, but I think uh -huh. uh, they're all valid comments. I think forest management or mismanagement is key. Uh, basically, fires uh, not about the climate change, and we we talked about that. We talked about the yeah. underbrush and uh, and how they could better management. And I I totally agree with that. It's the fact that they're trying to save money here and they're not actually being responsible enough or responsible stewards, mm -hmm. and that is a good portion. And you know they're they're probably going to end up with more fires. In the in the coming years, because again, they've they've been doing all these cuts on uh, on uh, forest management, and uh, and you probably heard the story about uh, in Banff, they actually had some people that were not ex as experienced this year, and uh, they went in to do their uh, what do they call controlled it? Controlled burn. Controlled burn, yeah. and it got away on them. Yeah. Right. And again, so not only is that an issue with uh, mismanagement of, uh, of of how to do something. And um, and and just not having the experience to do it, but if you want to throw that card in there, there's also uh, uh, diversity um, uh, and um, DEI. Uh, yeah, diversity. it was uh, yeah. a women's firefighter. Yeah. yeah, right. So there's there's again all this stuff that is interwoven and uh, the problems that can have with that. Yeah, just related to the comment that that person yeah. had, you yeah. know, we have to realize that in Alberta and BC, we have 18 million hectares of standing deadwood uh, mm. from the pine beetle. And yeah. that's been standing like for 
a decade easily. So it's really tinder dry. So that's why yes. a lot of the wildfires just whoosh, took off. Yeah. But that yeah. that's good, actually, Mother Nature recycling. But yeah. the um, the thing that's really crazy, and we have videos about this um, regarding wood pellets. Of course, the ENGOs and the climate activists do not want this deadwood being turned into wood pellets, even mm -hmm. though it would be a great idea. Yeah. and we'd be paid for it yes. and it would create jobs but they think that it's bad because sometimes you cut down other trees yeah because you can't go they're... in and cut them one by one no <laughs> well, that's you right. can, but it's not economic so yeah yeah uh, by the way we also do have uh two explainer videos on our youtube site one is about the maui fires which are you know incredibly tragic yeah, yeah unbelievable yeah. the other one is about Kelowna so both of those okay. have some explanation and the material is from our our wildfire and forestry consultant okay that's great um and again another comment the only climate change that's happening is what they've been creating yeah, <laughs> and the the problems that uh, mismanagement are doing right so um This one here is, uh, uh, Len says, I was reading on my weather app that there is a growing El Nino in the Pacific. As we know from previous events, we have warmer than usual winters in Western Canada. How are they going to spin this one? Are they basically going to say that this is part of climate change and that uh, we're going to get uh, warmer winters and and who knows what happens in, uh, in the spring if there's going to be another fire? Uh, well, there will be spring fires because that's, always uh, yeah. May is the biggest wildfire month in Alberta, certainly, yeah. Yeah. because it's that shoulder season between the winter snow and the spring rain. Yeah. And we never got spring rain this year, which made it much worse. But all the biggest wildfires in Alberta's history happen yeah. in May. Um, yeah. and so we will have wildfires in May next year, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. How about the El Nino? You know, this is a natural phenomenon. And uh, there's actually some very interesting evidence that is caused by or or partly caused by subsurface volcanic activity. So we have a couple of items on our blog by Professor Wiss Yim, that's Y-I-M, mm -hmm. um, who studied this quite a lot. So uh, is this where the ocean gets warm? Like for the past three years, we've had La Nina, which it's a colder... Yes. Yeah. Uh, cycle of the oceans. Mm -hmm. But what that meant for Alberta, especially, is that the soil was very, very dry. We had low precipitation, mm -hmm. which also exacerbated the wildfire risk in the spring. Yeah. So, yeah, who knows how they're going to spin it, yeah, but they'll find a way. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. Um, the other one here that I saw. Oh, thank you. Uh, yes. Oh. Thanks, Michelle, for putting that up. Yes, we are also on Odyssey. So we are on YouTube and on Odyssey. Thank you very much. So here's a comment. I don't know anything about this, but I thought I'd throw this up. Judy says, I saw in the news tonight that in France, there is an international court case running by 11 to 14 year olds about climate change. How will this affect countries if they win? Do you know anything about that? Um, I'm not sure that I know about that particular case, yeah. but I know there is one case that um, has been launched by uh Vanuatu which is a tiny little island state out in the middle of the Pacific mm -hmm. and they took a some young people there took a court case to the International Court uh, of Justice mm -hmm. and the UN General Assembly actually forwarded it on for an opinion 
So mm. they uh, now this one sounds like there. This is actually yeah. a real case that's gone to court. And there are a number of these kind of youth climate cases all over the world, yeah. um, funded by these green billionaires. Um, you know, wasting a lot of time and money in court. We've had a few of them in Canada. We've got um, uh, a four-part video on our YouTube channel, uh, which is called Debunking Eco-Justice. And it, mm -hmm. it goes through all the funding behind these. So, you know, it's weird that we can't get them, you know, dismissed or shut down for all the conflicts of interest that are involved. Yeah. Because it's obviously not a real case. Like, again, it's predictive. You can't go to court and say, um, my life in liberty is at threat because of this McLean's article that shows us that in 2060, the world will be horrible. Yeah. Because court cases are based on evidence and evidence is now it's in the present or his in the past, but it can't be in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, but they keep letting them go through court. Um, probably because it's that go along to get along attitude. Yeah. Um, and of course they use children because like with Greta, you know, if you say yes. anything um, rational about it, then it's like, you're terrible. You hate children. You're mean. I know. You're a bully. You know, how to spin like, that. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, a, a few other comments about the, uh, the, the, the forest fires, biomass energy plant shown by Michael Moore, burn trees and tires. How green is that? Again, it's uh, that's basically what uh, India was 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 burning, and they were in such an energy crisis that they would practically burn anything. Yeah, well, that's what people do in Poland. Yeah. I think last yeah. winter they were burning garbage to yeah. keep warm. But yeah. uh, you know, biomass. I I don't have a personally. I don't have a big problem with biomass because uh, why not use it? You know, otherwise it'll just burn up in the forest, yeah. and of course it does grow back. It's yeah. one thing, though, if you're clearing uh, live, rich forestry to turn it into biomass, that doesn't yeah. sound like such a great idea to me. But yeah. Yeah. if you're clearing out 18 million hectares of uh, standing deadwood of pine beetle yeah. trees, um, please take them. <laughs> yeah. And actually, there's a there's a guy on Substack called the Hotshot Wake Up. He does mm -hmm. a lot of good podcasts about wildfires, but. Uh, one of the things he tweeted to us one day was that, uh, you know, all the forests in Alberta and BC are going to be in much better shape over the next decade because yeah. of these wildfires. Sad as it is, really. I mean, a lot of people suffered a lot of damage and yeah. distress. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Douglas asks, how do we possibly change course of these ridiculous corrupt politicians and their media outlets? And I'm just going to also throw another comment up there, too, because they're kind of similar. Uh, Cora asks, how do we hold the media accountable when every time we try to have our voices heard, they demonize us, call us names, and then publish outright slanders about us? Well, I think you have to counter back. You know, yeah. we run into the same problem all the time. Um, you know, we had Facebook uh, take down our ads, which were for Donna Lafrenoise event, where she was talking about free speech. Yeah. And that same week, Mark Zuckerberg had said that he was in favor of free speech and that it was, should be the town square. So, you know, we published an open letter to them. I did a video about it. You know, so thousands of people have seen those items. 
So we yeah. know that we communicated with a group of people and we raised their awareness. Yeah. And I, I think over time it, it works, but you have to challenge them. And, and if you have to go to some other media source, like your own blog, make your mm -hmm. own video, do your own expose, um, do it, you know, because if you just stay silent about it, then they just keep going on and nobody else knows. That's the other yeah. thing. Yeah. Like actually also Michael Schellenberger, uh, we have a video uh, that I did about, it. he published his, uh, I think it was about a thousand word essay about how he made a U-turn on environmentalism. Mm -hmm. He saw how his children were getting so depressed about it. And he'd been a really active climate activist all his life. But yeah. over the years, he'd started to realize like, wait a minute, this isn't really making sense anymore. And then it was too much for him with the kids. So he wrote Apocalypse Now. He wrote a thousand word essay yeah. about his u-turn and uh facebook marked it as misinformation <laughs> so it's his own personal story and also yeah. uh one of the people who claimed that his scientific material was misinformation was the same scientist who had given him a very favorable review on amazon <laughs> yeah. so yeah. you know once you expose these things then you you show how ludicrous they are and yeah. it brings down the you know it's like um in the wizard of oz it's pulling oh, back pulling, yeah yeah exactly yeah um cora says and and i love this statement uh getting a work beat together to get rid of the underbrush and dead wood out of public areas may not be a bad idea either everyone could benefit by having firewood for the winter as well that sounds like an absolutely amazing idea except you can't do it because we have a government that has so many, you would need permits to go into there. If you even had to go in and try and fight a fire, you couldn't go in there. They won't just allow the average Joe. You actually have to uh, have uh, be certified and all that. And so that's the sort of situation that we run into, even with these, these are great ideas. And I would applaud you to be able to at least uh, attempt to go through and do that. And maybe you can go on to some private land and do that. But I know if you went into uh, provincial or federal, uh, like if you went into Banff and decided to to pull out all the trees from there, oh yeah, you'd have game wardens and stuff all over you. Well, I think though, uh, you know, if you look through all the Fire Smart yeah. uh, guides, um, you know, they have Fire Smart guides for communities for individuals. Yeah. And. I think that there is something to that. And that's one yeah. of the things that our wildfire consultant always says too, like whatever yeah. happened to the community, because that's yeah. the first level response. So I think there is something that people should try to do. Go to your uh, local authority, whatever it may be, the yeah. county, yeah. the town, the, um, the fire department, and, and create an organized work group and work plan yeah. and do start doing some of these things in coordination with them because yeah. you know as you said also about having firewood for the community that's very true yeah. like um our wildfire consultant showed me some pictures of a, a remote aboriginal community and they had cleared back a lot of the wood or the trees from the village yeah. and then carefully cut it and stacked it and they had it in these yeah. outdoor bins yeah. so that the elders could just you know walk down the street and pick up some firewood and take it home because yeah. a lot of those remote communities are still using um yeah. fire uh, yeah. you know wood burning stoves yeah 
So I think that people should try that. Like um, it's frustrating probably, but if you don't. Yeah. Well, and even look, look back to the, uh, the Fort Mac uh, forest fire back or a wildfire back then too. Right. And it even got into the, into Fort Mac and uh, maybe you're right. Like Cora says more of the municipal level carry. And it's true. Like it maybe maybe it is just something that is close to home and, and you end up going in, you don't necessarily need a, uh, a permit to go into a national park in order to help, help uh, get rid of the underbrush, right? Um, well, in, in a national park, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I'm sure, that, you know, there are a lot of practical concerns about people just going in to do a work be if there isn't some organization. Like even um, our wildfire consultant and I were talking about things like prescribed burns, like the one yeah, that happened that's in right. Banff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or controlled burns. And you hear a lot of this from indigenous people saying, oh, you know, we used to be able to do this and now we can't anymore and everybody's mm -hmm. bad and they're being mean to us. Well, yeah. you know, he said to me, the problem with these prescribed burns is that the best time to do it is like today you look outside and you go, ah, you know, there's no wind. Yeah. And, you know, and the forecast is for no wind until the afternoon. I'm going to go burn off that strip in my yard. Right. Yeah. So that would be the perfect time. Yeah. But you can't plan those in advance because you can't know the wind patterns in advance. And the problem is if everyone's running around doing that and something gets out of control, like it did mm -hmm. in Bath, yeah, <laughs> they were even firefighters, yeah. you know, then you suddenly need all that equipment and crew to come and, yeah. and yeah. help and stop it. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's the challenge. So you do yeah. want to be coordinated and, you know, you do want to make sure that you don't have city slickers coming in there, you know, with, with a chainsaw and chopping <clears throat> off their leg, God forbid, yeah. something like that. So yeah. you need the right kind of people. Yeah. Some praise for, for Michelle from Wendy. Oh. Love you, Michelle. I have a Facebook banner thank page you. supporting friends of science. That's awesome. Oh, thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you. <laughs> And of course, talking uh, again about the media and manipulation and stuff, uh, Vicky says, someone suggested to me that Alberta create its own broadcasting system. It's a double-edged sword depending who would run it, but it would be great if there was a way to hold journalists accountable along with our politicians. Well, you know, we actually have that. Yeah. Um, we have it in the form of CKUA, which oh, yes, broadcasts yeah. all over the province, but right. I believe it has been pretty much taken over by the green left, mm -hmm. uh, but that could be changed. You know, yeah. I think that people could say, okay, we want to hear this side of the story as well, because it is yeah. government funded and publicly funded. Yeah. Um, uh, and mm -hmm. I think it's also a great resource I, you know, it, you know, God forbid there was an emergency, let's say, God forbid there's a war. Mm -hmm. We already have a provincial radio station. There's also the, um, what is it, Primetime 2. I think that's been taken over by CTV. But okay. that used to be Access TV, which was mm -hmm. informational television. In I think every, so every province is there. Mm -hmm. Every province used to have that sort of uh, community-based TV. And I know they actually don't even have that in Winnipeg anymore, where I grew up. And uh, we used to watch you know, late night TV on there because they would have kind of funny shows and uh, and and again they it was it, they would do uh news reports and uh journalism and um i remember a couple of the guys that were on there and um but yeah they they don't do that anymore because now it's it's it seems that it would just cost too much to do that which is why most people do 
what we're doing right now because it is so much cheaper and you can still get uh, a bit of an audience, right? So, Right. But effectively, you know, in fact, Alberta Prosperity Project, because you already have this system up and running, That's effectively right. over time, you could become that and you could do it also like web-based yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think that's a good idea. I sorry, I forget the name of the person who suggested it, but uh, I think it is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, we're uh, we're gonna wrap things up here pretty quick, but uh, I just wanted to touch on a couple of things here. Let's see. Johnny Freedom says, uh, Michelle is awesome. Glad you're still rocking, Michelle. I've been a big supporter for years, although I lost track of you a bit over the government uh, COVID debacle, but I digress. I appreciate your efforts and uh, freedom of speech. There you go. Awesome. Thank you, Thank you Johnny. Um, I think uh, Friends of Science. <laughs> well, Friends of Science. Well, Freedom of Speech. Oh, but that. I'll oh, go with freedom of speech, too. <laughs> that's where my mindset was. Yeah. Well, that's better than the alternative. Oh, yeah, I know. I, that, <laughs> to change gears. If it was the other show, I would probably have said that. Um, and something just off uh, off topic here, Bonnie L, is AB, uh, AB Alberta Prosperity Project a registered charity? No, we're not a charity. We're actually a society. We're a, uh, a group of like-minded individuals and uh, that uh, are basically advocating for a referendum on independence and uh, and basically, you know, to make Alberta more prosperous. Or, or, uh, and, and so we're not a charity, but I think the question is probably more so if you make a donation do you get a tax receipt? And you know, that's a very good question. I'm going to say, no, you don't, but I don't know a hundred percent sure, but I'm going to find that out for the next time I'm on here. So yeah, I'm going to guess that you don't because I that's don't, the same yeah. with us. Like if you make a donation to us, yeah. uh, we cannot issue tax receipts. We're not a charity. No, exactly. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And just a little bit more praise. Uh, just cause we like doing that. Thank <laughs> you for education. Stay safe. Thank you for your show. Uh, there you go. No, you would not get a receipt. Yes. Valerie says, no, you would not get a receipt. So there you go. And night all, including Michelle, enjoyed your talk. Do you have to get that? I don't think if it's, so. if it's no, for it's, me, just tell them I'm busy. Tell us. Call from. Tell us. <laughs> tell us. Uh, Why are they calling me? I have no idea. That's too funny. Tell us. Yeah, Do we have to listen to them? I don't think we have to listen I know my, my phone did that the other day when I was uh, doing something and it uh, rang off, so I had to go mute onto here. Anyways, yeah. so with oh, that. Wait, someone, uh, someone was just saying, yeah. you know, is yeah. Alberta Prosperity Project uh, sufficiently objective to be a provincial um, uh, broadcaster or something like that? Well, oh. you know, if you look at CKUA, I think that you'll find that their slant is rather more left yeah, and yeah, green. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I adore CKUA. I listen to it quite a lot. I'm not yeah. so crazy about green energy futures, but I do yeah. listen to it. Um, so, you know, um, Alberta Prosperity Project has a more, um, I don't even like to use right and left, you know, has a more centrist pro-Alberta view. Yeah, um, yeah. So Very, why not? Yeah. You know, if yeah. somebody else out there wants to start their own whatever it is, broadcast yeah. outlet with their own world view, go yeah. ahead. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. So. And really, that's what it would come down to is even if we did our own media, I think it, we would still be promoting the APP message, which, of course, is, uh, you know, a better deal within Canada or, or out, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's kind of what we need to have that conversation. And, of course, even with 
um, the uh, the Alberta Pension Plan, which was uh, just announced by uh, Premier Smith the the other day, and they're and they're just talking about it. They're not doing anything. They're just giving information out. There'll be lots of bickering back and forth, lots of lots of information, and then eventually they'll there will be a referendum, at least if it gets to that point. And that's the whole idea: is that we don't have enough referendums in uh, in Canada. Like we should have. <laughs> Uh, federal referendums, we should have provincial referendums on things that matter most to uh, to Albertans. Uh, mm -hmm. They they basically have these these down in the states. They're, again, they don't really necessarily call them referendums per se, but they do vote on practically everything down in the states, right? Uh, and it yeah. seems here the only time we vote is when we're voting in a government. We actually don't have a vote to say no. We you know we want. Uh, taller trees in our yard. You know how do you, how do you do that? Well, you got to go through a process, but it's not a referendum. It's not a vote, right? right. And uh, and and at least this way, um, the idea behind APP is that we could do these referendums on practically anything if you wanted to. Uh, but I mean, the idea would be it would be on big topics, and of course, mm -hmm. uh, pension plan would be one. If we wanted to do our own taxation, if we want to bring our own uh, uh, police force in, you know, and, and there's all that all those things that we deal with on uh, on APP and we try and educate people through the uh, the webinars of course so mm -hmm. and uh, also one thing you know friends of science advocates for open civil debate and mm -hmm. full cost benefit analysis on these types of policies and just think about that if we had open civil debate on all these things and full cost benefit analysis you know and then a motion was made to accept or reject things. Yeah, that I mean that should be the norm. We shouldn't even oh, have to absolutely, absolutely. That we advocate for yeah. this. This yeah. should be the norm of public policy yeah. on on all these issues. Yeah. You know, and the reason why things are so askew is that all these policies have been slid in behind the door or green crony capitalism. Yeah. You know, there's no analysis in advance, uh, no cost benefit assessment. And then all of a sudden you find yourself facing billions of dollars on some crazy green project that, oh, we built a, this huge solar farm, but now we have to build massive transmission lines that well, nobody accounted for that. Yeah. You know, so it, the lack of that process is what's yeah. getting us in trouble. The lack yeah. of, of participation <clears throat> by citizens and yeah. agreement by citizens is what's getting yeah. us in trouble. Right. Anyway, I'll shut up now. No, that's and, good. That's good. You know, and, and again, the, the idea is wonderful comments and thank oh, you for thank, joining yes, us. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say is again, mm -hmm. if you if you enjoyed what you uh, heard tonight and saw, I encourage you to sign up for our, uh, our register for the petition to force a referendum on Alberta's independence. So we have a, an ambitious goal of 600,000 signatures. We're about 13,000 right now. You can go uh, right at scrolling at the bottom down there. It is uh, bit.ly slash AB vote yes, or you can text it to the number shown up on your screen. And uh, all we're asking for is just a bit of contact information so that when uh, the writ is dropped or basically something that says we're, we are going to go to a referendum. We have your name, name and contact information right away. So th the idea is a referendum has to take place within a certain finite amount of time. And I, I think it's either 60 or 90 days. But either way, if you can imagine we're trying to get 600,000 people in order to force a referendum, it's going to be rather impossible to get that number within 60 to 90 days unless we have... 
people signed up for it. So this is kind of what uh, we're driving for here is to be able to do that. So again, if you can, uh, go to uh, bit.ly slash yes and uh, sign up. It costs nothing. And honestly, it's just a matter of getting a contact information um, and uh, you're not really compelled to actually go ahead with it, but it would be nice to at least get that number up so that we know that uh, when uh, the referendum time comes along, we do have numbers in support. So that's kind of what I'm talking about there. And with that, I'm going to say thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks. Always thank wonderful you. to have you on and great insight. And uh, yeah, we will uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to get you to one of our events. And uh, speaking of events, I'm just going to go back here and show the events page again, just to remind people, if you didn't see right at the beginning, we do have up on our AlbertaProsperityProject.com uh, events page. And we've got a few events coming up, which is great in Alberta. These are... Uh, Part of a tour and uh, and chapter events, and there's going to be more of those. Again, it you know people get busy during the summer, and now that the summer is definitely over, I'm sad about. But um, I'm I'm definitely I know I'm not a sweater sweater weather guy. I'm a shorts guy, so I like it being hot. Um, why do I live in Alberta? I have no idea. <laughs> It's a beautiful place. What are you it talking about? It's the best I, I, place in the world. That's why you I live love it. Alberta. I absolutely do. I, I said that more in jest because it never gets harder than 32 degrees. But you know what? 32 is still nice for those four or five days that it does happen. You got to go live down in the half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. But then I got to deal with uh, the wind too. Any Anywhere That's in right. that Lethbridge to Medicine Hat corridor. Yeah, but you're right. It's, it's much hotter there. One day so. the wind stopped and everyone fell over. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're, they're so used to doing that. Yeah, that's true. Too. Uh, and we do weekly webinars, uh, of course, like this every Wednesday uh, with new speakers. And I know Sean had posted who was coming up here, and I wish I had tagged it. Um, I can't even do a quick search for it, but I, I know it's 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 going to be great, uh, and I can't even look. <laughs> Oh, Wendy's going to give us some of her lotto money. Thank you. Oh, there you go. Yes, perfect. We love it. Thank you. Yeah. So we will see you next Wednesday. Actually, I'm not on next Wednesday. I'm actually taking a little bit of a break next next Wednesday, I, more of a mental break too. So, um, But I know Sean Hamilton and Dennis Modry will be the, uh, the, the the host next week. So, you know, they've got a big wealth of, of uh, information between those two. So, oh, yes. Uh, Gwyn Morgan. Gwyn Morgan. Gwyn Morgan. That's, yes, you're right. Exactly. I just saw it pop up. Yeah. 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 Perfect. So, and uh, yeah, and that's how we're going to wrap up tonight. Thanks again so much for coming out. And uh, thanks for, again, sticking online here for an hour and 40 minutes. It's uh, uh, always great to have that conversation. So with that, you guys, have a, an amazing night and uh, we will see you Hopefully, see you next Wednesday. I won't be here next Wednesday, but I'll see you the Wednesday after that. But make sure you show up here next Wednesday. Thanks again. Okay. Good night. Thanks, everyone. Good night.